There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, you little legends, and welcome to Runners Only with me, Dom Harvey. Thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm so fizzed about today's guest. He's a good friend of mine. I'll tell you all about that in a second. But first of all, if you are a business and you'd like to be a sponsor of an episode or a few episodes or a season of Runners Only with Dom Harvey, please feel free to flick me an email, domharveynz at gmail.com. It's a side hustle at the moment and a passion project, but the ultimate dream is to um, like grow this thing and make it really big, and uh, I'd need some support and some cash money to do that. The goal is to grow this thing and um, make it something really special, like a really cool community, and eventually sort of grow it and do it a bit bigger, get some video on board, um, some video editors and um, yeah, maybe some other people helping me out because I am so far out of my depth here <laughs> and I'm doing, um, <laughs> I'm doing whatever I can but I'm very well aware of my uh, skill set and how limited it is. I'm actually, I don't pat myself on the back all that often but I'm um, very, very impressed at some of the stuff I have done so far technically speaking because um, anyone that knows me will tell you that's just not the way my brain's wired. You know, there's people that are wired different ways. I'm, I'm more sort of creatively minded, a, a little bit flamboyant, a little bit scatty, a little bit all over the place. So yeah, if that's you, if you're a, a business and you'd like to be involved with Runners Only, Dom Harvey, let's talk. It'd be great to have you on board. Right. Today's episode, you are going to meet Matt Finn. Chances are you don't know the name and that's perfectly fine. I'd urge you to listen though. He's a great dude. He's become a good friend of mine over the past year. Matt Finn is a mental health advocate uh, he's a deep thinker and also uh, one of the toughest bastards I've ever met. He came on my radar last year when he ran um, 654 kilometres pretty much continuously for Mike King's I Am Hope charity. Why the random number of 654? Uh, that's because that, that's how many New Zealanders um, the previous year lost their lives to suicide. Uh, Matt's done a couple of other crazy challenges um, since then, all um, with the goal and the purpose of getting a conversation going about mental health. Speaking of that, uh, this podcast probably does need to come with a bit of a warning. There is um, lots of uh, discussion around mental health, which I think is a fantastic thing. Uh, there's also discussion about depression and even suicidal thoughts. So uh, if you find any of this triggering, keep this number handy, 4357. Uh, that is Lifeline. You can flick them a text, 4357. But I, I really don't want to shy away from these conversations because I think it's, um, yeah, there's that saying, it's not weak to speak, and I firmly believe that. And the more we can... Um, you know, destigmatize this and get the conversation going, I reckon the better off we will all be. Okay, thanks very much. Enjoy Matt Finn. Talk soon. Hey, runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harley. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just wanna connect for everyone who loves running. This is runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harley. Pace, slow and steady, any way you coming Just want to connect for everyone who loves running Hey, Runners Only with Dom Harvey Runners Only with Dom Harvey, that's me and my friend Matt Finn Hello Matt Morning mate, how you going? Doing very well, doing very well Thank you very much for joining me on my new venture, Runners Only with Dom Harvey I'm excited, it's good I, I'm, I'm excited too, I'm, um, I don't know, I feel like I've been... Um, Living in a comfort zone for the last 20 or so years, um, doing the same radio job, which it varies from day to day, but uh, it is very much a comfort zone. And uh, now I'm doing this thing and I'm starting a community and trying to build a brand from ground zero. And it's, um, it's humbling and it's terrifying and it's scary, but that's everything that you're about. Yeah, I love it. It's the taking something on that you've never done before and like being just being crap at something to start off is really yeah. cool, you know? And I'm, I'm under no illusion about that. Like, I, <laughs> I expect with the, the broadcasting experience I've got, like, I, it, it, I'm hoping to be crap, but not crap crap. Yeah. But um, I'm definitely starting at a low point and hoping that it is going to progressively get better. And I love that, that wave of you learn so quickly early yeah. on. Like, and I think that's so addictive as you get, you start something new. 
I went for a, a proper bike ride for the first time last week and got my ass kicked <laughs> and expected to be pretty good at it and it just just wasn't and that's so humbling but yeah. then all of a sudden you come back again and you're 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 significantly better than you were the last time and mm. that's really cool. But failing is um failing is a weird thing cuz fa- failing is one of those things that um people are petrified of um, but I'm, I'm big about that and that's going to be a big focus on um, these podcasts here runners only um, the three F's you know fa- failures flaws and fuck ups because yeah. I think I think that's where the most growth happens like uh, as long as you take a learning from them yeah, um, you get way more from when you fa- and I, I know you've had a couple of big F's last year yeah and um but you, you know the, the the fails that you had last year, which we will get into, are things that most normal people would never undertake in the first place. Yeah, well, I used to, I used to play cricket growing up, and I remember hearing Mark Richardson talk about something he would do, and he would have three Fs, and it was after he did something wrong or played a ball wrong or whatever, it would be fuck it up, fix it, forget it, and that idea of do something wrong, that's going to happen, and it's inevitable, it's part of that process, and then think about how you're going to do something differently, and then completely forget about it, disregard it, and that's sort of what I've done as well, is take the learnings from it and reflect on it, but then put it in the back of your mind and move on, as opposed to obsessing over it, and I feel like failing's really good if you're able to move on from it and keep building on it, but if you start obsessing over it, it gets pretty hard. Yeah. And, it is, it and, is hard sometimes to put it behind you, though, and say it's in the past. Oh, totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you get that figured out, then you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you and you, you came on my radar last year. You and I met, and we've um, become become friends. Yeah. Uh, last year, what month did you do the 654? Uh, the end of March. Okay. Now, for anyone that, uh, that – you did get quite a bit of press, but there's probably a lot of people that missed it completely. What was the 654? So – there were 654 Kiwis that lost their life to suicide last year, and I ran 654 kilometres around Auckland Domain, um, all around raising awareness. We weren't fundraising. It was all around trying to um, encourage people to understand that it's a huge problem in New Zealand, and that was the reason why I did it, and I wanted to draw attention to the fact that that was there, mm. and I felt like the media probably hadn't reported on it enough. Um, there was a moment on radio where I talked about that statistic early on, maybe six months earlier, and it got cut out. Really? Yeah. Do you want to name and shame or no? No, no, I won't do that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was that was a big eye-opener for me. Right. Um, I wonder why they cut it out. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I never had that conversation, but I think – Apart from that, that's one moment, right? But I start, it started to get me thinking more and more about um, the fact that not just suicide, but really tough things aren't reported about. A lot of the mm. time we, we, we think it's too dangerous or we avoid it for doing different things. And so I wanted to do something that was so big that we, we, really, we really focused on it and reported on it. Yeah. Um, and it was hugely outside my comfort zone. The furthest I'd ever run was just over 100K. So what what made you, what gave you the, um, some would say, misguided confidence that you could do this? That's um, a crazy number. Being super naive, yeah. probably. <laughs> but you did, I mean, I mean uh, yeah. we'll go straight to the end of the story now, then we'll come back. Like, you, you did get it done. Yeah. And you had like a, like a camper van there, and you were having little rests and little naps, but it was more or less continuous. Yeah, so it was 150 hours total, right. and I slept for 11 hours. Um, and the idea wasn't, we weren't worried about records or time or this, it was about the number and getting getting it done. And I think that kind of spoke to that idea of I was it doesn't matter how big the goal was, that doesn't just because you the most likely scenario is that you don't finish it, which was that, doesn't mean you don't go after it and mm. try because if you fall short you've still made more progress than if you hadn't tried in the first place. And anyone that did, that hears what you're attempting and doubts it, I mean you know who's who's more of a winner, the person that attempts it, or yeah. the person that says, "Oh, the guy that is attempting it is never going to do this." He's I, dreaming. I find it interesting as well because no matter how many doubts other people have about me doing something, I'm still going to have more of them mm. throughout that whole process. Just that niggly voice in the back of your head. Oh, it's not. It's nowhere near in the back oh. as well. By the time yeah. we get it, so to do six five four, um, the night before, I was having panic attacks. And was up all night. I didn't sleep at all all night. I was 
bawling my eyes out in bed, rolling around like distraught and all alone and very much, and this is carried through most of the things I've done now, is very much felt like I was on an island. So I was, I wasn't lonely, but I was alone. And it's because you feel like you're the only person doing that thing and you could be surrounded by people who support you and love you. But in that moment, it feels like no one else is in the same boat as you. Oh, 100%. I, it's, it's probably um, much like a, bo- a boxer going into the ring. Like they've got a lot of people in their corner, yeah. but as soon as that bell goes off, everyone else is out. It's just you and your opponent. Yeah, and that island analogy is something that I think about every day. Mm. You know, you feel like everyone's around on it looking at you. Yeah. Um, and that's so daunting, and it feels like there's so much pressure, and I've just had to slowly try and learn ways to – to figure that out and navigate that. Because I suppose ultimately it's pressure that you're putting on yourself. Oh, 100%. No one else cares. Yeah. Like the, I, th- I think, and through some of the, the ups and downs we'll talk about, it's um, I'll, I'll care about the physical so much, but it's about the impact. And I talk about the fact that it's not about the running. Yeah. You know? It's about doing like big things for big reasons, you know. And if you fall short of the physical goal, for the most part, you're the only one that really cares. Um, other people aren't judging you or th- anything like that. And um, you actually sent me the quote, and someone else did as well, after um, Baldwin Street, which we'll get to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, the man in the arena. And, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but the idea yeah. is that um, the opinions that matter are of the people who are fighting there next to you doing the same thing, mm. not the people who are looking from afar. Oh, right. yeah, it's a fantastic quote. You got the 654 done. Um, I, I came down to see you, I think, more or less every day and ran a couple of yeah. laps with you. By the way, for anyone that is not familiar with the um, the loop of the Auckland domain, uh, where Matt ran 654 kilometres over how many days? Six. Six days. It's a shitty little like, 1.5-kilometre <laughs> lap. It's, it's quite tiny. a lot of elevation as well. Like It doesn't seem like it, but it added up to almost 9,000 metres. So that's the height of Everest. Wow. Across that. Because yeah. you're doing so long, it's 22 meters each lap. Doesn't seem like mm. much, but it adds up pretty quick, mm. especially the downhills. Um, and yeah, it's a one mile loop, and it felt awful like a, little felt like a hell of a lot longer than <laughs> a awful mile. Little I actually have run yeah. there quite a bit since. Have you? Why? Oh, I don't. I think part Does of it, it not is, bring back PTSD. I think part of it is it's positive. Is that obviously there's there's bad moments, but the the realization that it's an environment which has stressed you out a lot, but you've conquered it sure, in, yeah. in a way like I, I have that with um the track I train at over at Millennium is I've done quite a few things there which have gone really well training runs and things like that and past events and now I really enjoy running there because I can feed off of um, during training sessions feed off of times where it sucked a hell of a lot more than yeah. it does now and you got through it and you can think about that and be in that environment mm. and I, I'm quite a big fan of that like if you've done something really cool surround yourself with reminders of that yeah, yeah, I like that. What was the toughest bit about the six five four? Was it um, like the 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 dark cold hours before sunrise? Uh, w- w- was it just particular moments towards towards the end of it or in the midsection? Like yeah. What were the what were the real tough moments? And um, what was it that um, what did you draw to to get you through them? I think um, there was heaps of physical elements. Um, like I broke my feet in four places and different things like that. <laughs> Um, but the worst thing's definitely the sleep deprivation and that you, people know what doing an all-nighter feels like, but doing that essentially for a week and being physically, burning 20,000 calories a day wow. um, is different. And it, for the first day or two, you get through it because you're hyped up and you're, you're ready to go and there's people around you and you're having fun. That third night, 70-odd hours, and I hadn't slept up at much until then, probably two, three hours um, of little naps in this camper van. And that third night, I was probably 280k in or so. So not even halfway. No, I was a lot, because we negative split it. Right. So... That means you did the, for anyone that's not yeah. um, huge into their running, that's where you do the second half faster than the first yeah, half. Yeah, which is totally the way to do most races. 
but not how you do ultra races. Yeah, you but also easier, yeah. easier said than done because yes. um, you're feeling so good at the beginning of any run or event. Oh, totally. Um, I mean, I went out at six minute Ks and felt good for the first marathon we did six minute Ks. Yeah. Um, just adrenaline, right? Yeah, and you can't not do it almost. It feels mm. like you're just being pushed forward. Um, but that third night, I we were struggling all through the night. Um, I did 10 laps in about a 12-hour period, I think. Um, mm. And... The one last lap, it was one mile and it took me a whole hour to do, just moving the whole time. I was stumbling over, I had my eyes shut, I was falling asleep, standing up, and I had someone on each of my arms. Mm. Um, you know, for, for anyone for anyone listening that's not huge into the into the running figures, y- any one of us could probably walk a mile in 20 minutes. Yeah? Yeah. yeah and it totally. took you how long? An hour. <laughs> and But I didn't stop moving either. Yeah. That's important to remember. I was just stumbling. Imagine the slowest you could possibly walk that um and i was tripping over and um and i was the scariest part is when i was a kid i had nightmares about not being heard i guess and i was like locked in my own body so i was i was trying to speak and no one would hear me and that essentially came true in real life is i was locked in my own body so i would try to speak and my nothing would move my mouth wouldn't move I've heard, is that like sleep paralysis? I've kind of, yeah. It's a type of paralysis. Your body essentially is trying to shut down as much as it can because it can't actually go to sleep because you're still moving and you just fall mm. over. So it shuts down other systems. Right. And so I'm so ingrained of keeping my feet moving. That's fine. But everything else just switches off. Mm. And I was trying to say things and nothing would happen. Mm. And that's so scary. Yeah. Um, and internally your mind is racing. But nothing happens no mm. one else could tell i just looked comatose it mm. was as close to people what people see in zombie movies yeah. as you could ever imagine <laughs> like it's that um and i was just sort of making grunting noises mm. and we got round and everything had been a decision to like okay we'll do five minutes rest here we'll do this we'll do this i there was no talk i just collapsed into mm. that camper van had 40 well, how do you, yeah how do you go from well, maybe you're about to get into this but I was going to say how do you go from that to recovering yeah, so and bouncing back I had a 45 minute nap and woke up myself because the sun had just come up and I felt like a new person like all it was a switch had flicked I felt well rested I felt good it was like starting again and my body was sore but all of a sudden my body had adapted and we'd pushed it to a point where it was either either it was going to literally shut down and die or figure it out. And your body's really good at figuring stuff out eventually. And that happened. And from then on, although I was battered and broken, I internally, my body had figured out I could eat heaps again. You know, it were all those struggles that you have with fueling and eating food and doing all these things and hydrating and stuff just all sorted themselves out. And from then on, it felt, although my body was really sore, it felt like running downhill. Yeah. It was, and that's how we negative split it. So it took me um, probably a half a day less to do the second half, which is pretty huge. It's remarkable. Um, and to, we joke about the best way to run a 300 plus K ultra marathon is to run one beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the, the incredible thing about you, though, and um, yeah, we'll get into this with the other two challenges that you attempt and did not complete, though, is your. Your body always gives up before your mind, where I think, maybe not, I don't know, I'm plucking this figure out of my ass, but I'd say for 90% of the population, their mind will always give up before the body. There's some Navy SEAL stat about that. How when you think you're done, you're only at like 30% or something. Yeah, and I think it varies, and it's just, you throw, like, we can throw numbers out sure. there, but I think it's different for everyone, yeah. and it's it's having a reason why, in that... Um, and I think that it's a learnt skill as well. It's it's resilience, you know. And I talk about the event is actually the fun bit. When you're 28k into a 30k long run along Tamaki Drive in the middle of summer, and no one's watching you, no one cares. No one on Strava cares if you've run 28k or 30k, mm. you know. But and it doesn't matter. The physical training benefits are tiny in yeah. comparison. But if you don't do that extra 2k. When it comes to the event, how can you expect to turn it on when it really matters? Mm. You know, we I talk about the idea that there's um, the struggle we choose prepares us for the struggle we don't, and you make those decisions and build up that resilience over time mm. with those small things that add up to when it really matters and the lights are on. It becomes not a decision; it's just you keep going. Mm. And throughout all of these events, is there's never 
in my mind, and this is this is definitely a don't try this at home. There's a way to go about doing this with an important medical team around you and things like that. Of I'm not entertaining the possibility of giving up. Mm. It's that's not a factor in my head. We option. talk about um, and that gets delegated to someone um, or a team. So you talk about boxing and how people throw in the towel. Mm. The boxer doesn't give up. That's how we work. Is mm. that um, it's I'm going to push myself as far. And if you don't entertain that possibility it becomes a hell of a lot easier because there's no, oh, I've got to do this much or I could go home. It's I'm here for a week, better get on with it, mm. you know, and that's yeah. the mentality. We, we should, um, well, I should give out a disclaimer at this point. Um, I am a big advocate for how running is so good for your mental and your physical health. Um, what Matt's doing? <laughs> I think there, there, there becomes a point where it's diminishing returns. Yeah, I agree. And I <laughs> like think It's not necessarily wise and don't try this at home. Yeah, and I, I think there's... Um, I guess what I, I come back to with, with what you've talked about as well, it's the reason, obviously there's physical and mental health benefits from running um, on a very daily basis, you know, the consistency and um, it, acting as therapy. Sometimes your subconscious goes to work on things you're dealing with or whatever it is, and it's just the chance to escape. Yeah. But there's also this this Japanese concept called masogi, um, and it's, it's actually to do with like a water purification ritual in ancient times, but it's... The idea is they go on this journey and um, it's incredibly hard and they do it once a year. And it's sort of translated into modern times of that idea that you do some, something so hard one day a year that it affects the way you live your life the other 364 days. And that's why ultra running can be so addictive. It's right. that idea that you push so far beyond what you thought you were capable of and what you normally do that it affects how you go about your other life mm. the other parts of your life and i think that's really powerful and that's what i come back to is these challenges are so intense and so stressful and all that but then they have a major effect on the way i feel the rest of the year yeah you know? that's really powerful i like that so much but for that one day of the year where you do something super challenging <laughs> why don't you clean the oven <laughs> <laughs> or, or a week straight <laughs> yeah should we, should we go back to where um, this all started? Maybe we, uh, this is a chance for us to compare war stories. Like, um, cause I feel like this is something we sort of connected and bonded over. Because um, for me, um, running has been not only uh, fantastic for my physical health, but for my mental health as well. Um, you you run for mental health, but I feel like, and I know you've had your own sort of struggles, but you generally do it more for awareness of the entire, you know, for other people rather mm. than yourself. So, who wants to go first? Do you want to go first? Where, where did yeah. where did where did you first become aware of um, your potentially frail mental health? So, we go way back. Um, I was a chubby little kid and really struggled with self confidence and um, had a lot of support growing up. You know, I had sort of the perfect childhood, somewhat. You know, what everyone sees as that, but on the inside was being bullied and really struggled um, and felt like I couldn't speak up out of fear of seeming ungrateful, I guess, um, for what I did have. Um, and then because I was at quite a low point then and, and was really struggling as a kid, I had a growth spurt and shot up all of a sudden when I was 13 years old or 12 um, and all of a sudden was sporty and good at things and it was completely different Um and that probably went to my head. I went completely the other way, right? You're struggling with self-confidence, but then as a result, you act as a sponge and you draw it all yeah, up right. to go the other way. Sure. And I mean, when you're 13 years old, you don't know that. You're, you're just figuring it out, right? Or not figuring it out and just living life. Um, and so I started playing lots of different sports and then got quite good at cricket um, and decided to stop playing the other sports and pursue cricket with everything I had. At what age? Like 13, 14? 15, I right. think, was when I specialised. I, mm. I got it down to rugby and cricket and then went with, with cricket. I feel like that's the age you, you reach a crossroads where yeah. you have to sort of pick one. Yeah, or I th I'm a huge fan of generalisation over specialisation mm. up to quite a late point, Yeah, like almost 17, 18. Like I know people who um, are professional athletes in an area and mm. still play a social sport. Yeah, And that's so good, especially when it's an individual, like runners yeah. or um, – or triathletes, or whoever it is, doing something different is so good. And that's something I've tried to incorporate now as well. Um, and I moved to the UK at 16 to play cricket professionally Wow! Um, in the county system. Um, it's very young. Who were you, were you, were you like, billeted out? Who, yeah, I was yeah. on my own. Um, I was at college, which right. was, like, university structure but school. Okay. Uh, so were you in, like, a dorm room or something? 
Yeah, essentially, okay. yeah. Um, and was in with a bunch of other athletes um, at like 16 and just complete freedom. Um, was expected to be at college uh, quite a bit and wasn't. Um, and was just <laughs> training all the time and, you know. Um, and I got through okay, but, you know, I was just focused on that and that was the be-all and end-all and that was everything. And what happened is it became so much of my identity. It wasn't me and I played cricket. It's I was a cricketer. And um, when things didn't start going well, and it's a team sport, it's political, it's this and that, and I was actually struggling to perform a lot of the time because it was a different environment and I had so much potential, but I felt like I wasn't fulfilling that. Mm. It felt like I wasn't enough as a person. And I just wasn't even a decision to stop playing after two years. It just happened. Like there was no day where I went, I'm not going to play. All of a sudden it was three months since I'd done anything. It's untrained. What was it? Did you just fall out of love with cricket or were you I think just confused because you were homesick or what? No, I think it was, um, it was, it was everything. Yeah. And because it was everything, um, when something didn't go well, it wasn't I had a bad day at the office. It wasn't that. It was the job, the sport I was playing, the passion, everything. Mm. When it didn't go well, it felt like life had ended that day. That was it was everything. Um, and so I found myself at just turned eighteen in an apartment in London alone in the middle of winter where it gets dark at three o'clock. Oh, it's bleak. And just didn't have anyone. Didn't mm. didn't have like had stopped playing, wasn't wasn't earning money, was just there, didn't have mm. a chance to come home, didn't didn't want to tell I didn't tell anyone I'd stopped playing cricket like back home. It was, I felt... What is that? Were you embarrassed? Yeah, or? exactly. Yeah. I'd gone over to do this huge thing and failed. Like, had had failed at what the goal was. And had failed because I'd given up, or it felt like I'd given up. It didn't feel like I had... Um, it wasn't an external thing. It felt like I'd decided to. And spent six months there, just not in a good place, you know. Um and it wasn't until I was still like go to the gym every so often and things like that because mm. it's what I always did, but it wasn't, I wasn't doing anything, you know. Yeah. And um, it was very nocturnal as well because I'd try to stay connected to people in New Zealand because I didn't know that many people in the UK and would talk to them and stuff and stay up through the night yeah. and things. And um, yeah, it was really hard. Um, and it, I was going to that gym and I knew the owners of the gym and it was quite a small sort of boutique gym. Um, and the guys there were really cool and one of the guys one day um, we were talking we were sitting there watching YouTube videos because it was quiet <laughs> and we were looking at um, different like physical performance elements and stuff like that because I was still a bit of a nerd into all that and um, we talked about how if it was possible to run a marathon without training for it and he didn't think it was and I thought it was and he knew me quite well from that point he knew I was struggling with some stuff and he went okay go do it then. And I was like, uh, not sure. <laughs> um, and he encouraged me and he knew I needed something like that. And the next day I went and did it. And bear in mind, there's a difference between running a marathon. Getting through one. And stumbling, walking, <laughs> crawling every every inch to get there. Um, I think it took seven hours, 50 or something. Some, I don't remember. It was a long time. And it was a long time considering I felt like I should be running it and stuff, you know. And I got home that night and I remember lying in bed and it was the, I started just smiling to myself. And it was the first time I'd had a positive conversation with myself in like a year and a half, mm. which was weird. And I, I realized that. It was like an out-of-body experience. And I realized that, it wasn't about me going and doing lots of running. It was about realizing that I could go and do other things. Yeah. It wasn't like this was the one goal and now that that was over, life was over. Oh, cricket you mean? Yeah. 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 And it was I could go and do mm. other stuff, you know? It wasn't it wasn't like because I'd failed every I would fail at everything. And I that didn't click in my head mm. until that moment. I still really struggled. It wasn't it was no way an instant fix. Yeah. It's not like you wake up the next morning, you're like, right, ten K run, let's mm. go, you know. It was um I came back to New Zealand, got a very normal job and took on uh, a big challenge with um Cure Kids, the charity, and um was fundraising and did I had a family friend who had cystic fibrosis and um did five fifty Ks in five days and uh, that was brutal wow. and was traveling mm. around the North Island to do it. Um, so weird. I'd finish one day and bear in mind by the end of the first day, my knee was blown out and the second, the second 50 K I walked probably 45 K of it. Like it was done. I was not in the position yeah. to go and do that. 
And so we finished the second day, and then I'd had to drive from Auckland all the way down to Topo. And, like, we got there at midnight. <laughs> and then it was like, right, up at 6 a.m., go it's again. not great prep. Yeah, no. Yeah, from there, I, I managed to get through it and finish it and expected to feel like a superstar. I expected I'd done this thing that mm. I set out to do. I'd achieved it. Woke up the next morning and realized that life was exactly the same. Yeah. And that hit really hard. Mm. You know, like, what was the purpose? What was the point in doing that all? Yeah. And then really struggled for a while again. You know, like, you've gone and done this huge thing. And, like, essentially no one cares because everyone's living their own life. Yeah. Have you have you had, um have you been to therapy or you on any drugs or anything? No. no. So, like, I've definitely, I feel like I've been really lucky that I've had... Um, and I'm very, I'm very wary of this because friends should not be your therapy. Mm. Um, but I'm, I've had really cool people around me, yeah. And I think that that has meant that I haven't gravitated towards that initially because nothing was acute as well. There was no, there was no like big moment where I had to go there. It was always just simmer, through things simmering gradually. In the yeah, exactly. Yeah. That low level, just all the time. And it's something I actually think I need to get into more this year is unpacking some of that stuff because everyone's got this trauma that's built up from other yeah, things. That's really and good. And one of the things I want to do this mm. year is actually go and talk to someone who's a professional, yeah. you know, and and it's not that I necessarily need it right now, but unpacking those things set, mm. sets you up to be in a better position long term and, and just be a better person a lot of the time. Um, actually, in, in, in a lot of ways, when when you don't feel like you need it, when you're not at that rock bottom I feel like that might be the right right time to go and see a therapist. Exactly, yeah. You, you said something before that sort of resonated with me. You said um, uh, when you did that marathon in the UK with, without any training, it's the first time after that that you um, started to speak nicely to yourself. Yeah, like have a positive conversation. Yeah. I was um, at the beginning of this year, uh, 2022, I was sort of you know thinking about some goals and New Year's resolutions, call them what you want. Yeah. And what, one of them was... Um, I just want to be a kinder person. I want to be nice to people. And then there was um, a situation. I was out on a run and there was a, um, a group of people coming the other way and they recognised me and stopped me for a photo. And then they, they said something like, um, you're, you're exactly what we expected you to be like. You're, you're really, really nice and friendly. Yeah. And then I walked away and it got me thinking about it more. And um, I thought, I am a nice person. I am a kind person. It's just me that I'm hor- – I, like, I yeah. say things to myself, the, the negative yeah. self-talk. That I would never tolerate from another human being. Yeah, well, uh, we there's that thing about um, imagine if we were as nice to ourselves as we were to other people. Like, um, like you That's know, good. Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard that, but that is. Um, and I mean the that idea of. Um, do you remember I sent you a message ages ago? I think I sent it as a voice message, and it was I, I like the one thing that stands out with what you do as well as um, you make everyone feel really valued when you meet them, and like. People at 654, when you came along, they said that to me about you, is that idea that when you meet someone, you introduce yourself, you go out of your way to ask some questions and do that. And like that had a bit of effect on me, is um, being really kind to other people, right? And that, that it has to feed back into your own life. Mm. Is It's really easy to go out during the day and put on this, even if it's genuine, being really nice to other people, and then you get home and you go into yourself again, and mm. then you start beating yourself up. Oh, I should have done this. I should have done this. And that inner critic, right, just goes off. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's so. That's just normal. And it, I think it's understanding that you shouldn't beat yourself up for beating yourself up. Yeah. And that can be really tough as mm. well as I shouldn't be thinking this. I shouldn't do that. And that sort of carried me through the last year. I think because I've the one thing I've made progress on is I've stopped doing what I think I should do and. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Started doing what I actually want to do deep down. Um, from routine stuff to also trying not to beat yourself up for, I should be in this position, I should do mm. this, you know. And that I think that really helps is writing down what you actually want to do. Yeah. And what you want to feel like and things like that. That's really good. How, how old are you now? 23. Yeah, so you're like half my age. Um, <laughs> when if, if I was sitting down with you and we were the same age, we were both 23, I'd have n- no clue what you were on about because um, I had absolutely no struggles through my 20s, even through um, probably to my early to mid-30s. And then um, so what is, you, you've probably got a better idea of this than what I do because you know the 654 six, figure. What is the, um, what, what is the hot spot for suicide in New Zealand? I, know it's Ooh, I don't know if I could answer that with accuracy. Yeah, um, it's quite young though, isn't it? I know that New Zealand, I'm not sure if it still does, but I, I know that in the past few years, New Zealand's had the highest youth suicide mm. rate in the developed world. Yeah. Which... It's just a statistic, and then you realise you compare it to countries New Zealanders think of as really struggling with things like that, like the US, mm. and you realise that we're, we're worse. Yeah, and that's that's really yeah. daunting. Um, and I think a lot of it is it's that idea of it's that disconnection, and it's everyone talks about social media and this and that and things like that, but I think it all comes back to that disconnection from other people and yourself. And you don't, like we talk about that inner critic and that mm. overactive inner critic and that that voice in your head and it disconnects you from the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that's been huge for me is even through through school and cricket and this and that, it was always about time and I was always playing up sports teams and things like that until a year above and trying to do things quickly. I remember planning out a cricket career of I was going to do this by this age and this by this age and getting so far ahead as opposed to actually just living your life. Mm. And there's this pressure, and I felt like other people were putting that on me for sure. Um, and as a result, it feel, and then you start putting it on yourself. And I definitely still do mm. that. But um, every year I would be like, this is going to be the year that it all happens. Mm. You know, This is going to be the year that it all comes together and you, you change the world and you do all this stuff. It's this German word called uh, torchless panic. And they have this great way of describing huge concepts with singular words. Um, which we can't do, and it translates to gate-shut panic, and it's that idea that life is passing you by and doors are closing in front of you as you're getting older, and you should have done this and you should be doing this, which I know I f- when someone told me that word for the first time, I was like, oh, my God, I feel that. It's why I don't like birthdays anymore. Like your birthday, when, you get, when you're a kid, it's this happy time, and then you start to get a little bit older and you're like, it's another year and I should have done this, you know, and I should mm. I, a life slipping you by. Yeah, sort of thing. exactly. And like that, those doors are closing and like, I should have, you, you start real, you start comparing yourself to other people's paths. And I think this is the first year in my life where I've actually accepted that actually it's all good. And like, you're doing your own journey. And I think a lot of that is we're in that system of you go to school and then you go to university and you get a job and you do this and you buy a house and you do all those things. And, that's great if that's what you want. Mm. But I feel like a lot of people go through that that system and that, that pathway and they don't stop to go like, do I actually want this? Mm. Um, or is that what society is telling you that you yeah, should have or you people, need to have? People say about why like people who have really struggled with different things end up doing big things. And mm. I think part of the reason for that is that you're forced to reassess your entire life and it forces you to eventually decide what you really want to mm. do. Um, I think COVID did that for a lot of people, yeah. is that it's not an individualized trauma element or it's anything like that, but everyone was forced to go, what am I doing? Mm. You know, like everything stopped. Yeah, And I know that was like that for me, and that's how I got into doing like this run and this chat challenges, challenges and sure. stuff, right? Is I needed to do something. I was like, what do I actually want to mm. do? You know? Yeah, for, for, yeah. For me, I think the, the, there was a, like a bunch of moments. So it was like, um, what you're, yeah, what you're talking about, where you reevaluate your life. Um, I had this uh, tumor removed, um, which left me unable to have kids. And then uh, me and my wife at the time, JJ, we undertook like six or seven years of um, IVF and fertility treatment, and in the end, we couldn't have kids. So then, there's this way that you sort of see the entire second half of your life, mm-hmm. you know, with kids, and then maybe eventually grandkids um, being taken away from you, and. Uh, 
yeah, there was a bunch of other things that happened, and then um, yeah, suddenly I found myself sort of um, late thirties, early forties, just sort of in a, in a mental health slump. Mm. To the and I, then there, there were there were points where I even felt um, I thought maybe I should take my own life, and uh, I I don't want to be flippant about it, but it's like I never came up with a suicide plan or anything, but there's, you know, there's times where you'd look at a belt or something and think, oh, yeah, I could, that could be an implement. Yeah. And then um, that, that really scared me when I had those, when I had those thoughts. It, like, it, it terrified me. They, and they were just like fleeting thoughts that would come and go. Yeah. Then I, had a, I went to see a therapist, and she said in a, like a hushed voice, she said, um, have you ever thought about suicide? And I said, I explained to her what I just explained to you about the belt and stuff. And she just sort of, um, and this made me feel really good, she shrugged her shoulders and she goes, well, yeah, it's, it's an option that's open to anyone at any time. Yeah, and uh, and that that made me feel really good. It made me it, feel a bit re- more normal. Removing about it. the taboo from it, it's normal to think about at mm. some stage. It's that difference between understanding that you are not your thoughts, mm. and um, I actually find that's one of the reasons I like. Like I struggle to write things down with my thoughts, like journaling, because my brain races and I can't keep up, and it puts pressure on me. So I spam my phone, or I like talking, even if it's voice memos. But getting thoughts out of your head, and part of what you just said is like you talk to someone about it, is it became, when it's in your head, it's not a thing, it's not tangible, it's rushing around and these different stuff, and you're the only one that knows about it, it's a secret, you're thinking about it, and then you put it out into the world, and it doesn't even need to be for anyone else, but all of a sudden it's like a voice memo on your phone, you see the little waves going up on the sound waves, <laughs> or it's written down somewhere, it's on, like, it is something now, and then you can take a step back from it, and I found like that was that was really helpful is understanding that your thoughts are not your identity, mm. and your thoughts are not feelings. They're not they're not part of you. They're something that you 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 do, you know, and that that, that you can separate yourself from yeah. them. And that was really powerful. It's a terrifying thought to have, though. Like yeah, when, for when sure. you start to realize that that's an option that's open to you, and you even entertain it for just a slither of a second, it's a like it's a it's a shattering moment. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is, um, it's, it's just like I, I, I say about putting it out into the world mm. and stuff. And um, in that moment when those thoughts and stuff come about, is you did exactly the right thing of actually talking to someone about mm. it. And that's so hard when you're in when you're on like the cliff top, you mm. know, when you're in that moment. But if you you realize that early on and you're able to do that, that's huge. Yeah, because things always do get better. Eh? You just yeah, you, you just never want to be caught at that sort of weak moment where yeah. that's an option and you, you take that option like yeah. 654 people did last year. Yeah, the whole idea that like this too shall pass, right? Completely, and, and it always does. And I, I think that's part of why I love ultra running as well is there's so many, it's such a great parallel for life is that there's moments, like I talked about that third night, right, where <laughs> it could not be worse. Mm. Like your body is about to fall down and die. And then all of a sudden you wake up 45 minutes later and things are different because the sun's come up. Yeah. Something really simple that happens every day, you know. And I think that's understanding that um, sometimes you've just got to do your best. Mm. And that I think I've also understood this year that there's a difference between optimal and peak, both in a sporting sense and in life, right, is mm. that peak is spending four to eight years training for the Olympics to peak it. For 10 seconds at a 100 meter dash. <laughs> That's right, Mike. Peak yeah. is everything has been in service of getting you to your absolute best that you've ever done on that moment. That happens once every four years, not every single day. And optimal is being able to do your best in that moment, considering everything else that's going on yeah. in your life, right? And that, and pe- we, we constantly compare ourselves and other people to peak and the best ever. Not, actually, I didn't sleep that well last night. I haven't eaten that well. I was helping out a mate move, so I'm tired and this and that. And then I've gone for a run or gone to work and stuff, and I didn't do that well today. But you did well in comparison to how you approached it, you know, and you were optimal, you know, and there's days where you won't you won't be optimal. But whatever you do is actually your best mm. because you take into account all those things that have happened to you you're doing your best in that moment. And I think that's like a big powerful thought to and feeling, you know, mm. to, to realize that 
you're capable of that and mm. you don't have to compare yourself to that big thing. Yeah, well, there, there is that saying that comparison is the theft of joy, which yeah. is really, really good. But also if you're, um, if you're an overachiever, it's, it's hard not to be hard on yourself. Oh, totally. You know and what I, I think, mean? It's, and I mean, like, there, there's moments where that's really good, yeah. you know, and I think it's just that balance and that no one knows the right answer. Mm. I think it's really comforting. I find it really comforting that um, no one actually has any clue what they're doing. <laughs> Even <laughs> That is so true. Especially 100%. the people who seem like yeah. they do. And I feel like people see, people see the outside and they see the surface and they're like, oh, you're doing this. I wish I could be like that. And... <laughs> And no one has any idea what's going on. I feel like COVID really revealed that yeah. as well. Is that from celebrities on Instagram to the the mate you really look up to to whatever, no one has any idea. Yeah. And that's really comforting. Mm. Um, I think it, that reminds me of that idea that as well of you talk about like people putting, like putting pressure on yourself and comparing yourself to other people. Mm. And I, I have this thing. I actually have it written down on a wall at home. And it's, um, you don't even have to stop giving a shit what other people think about you. You just have to stop and realize that they're not thinking about you at all. Mm. They're thinking about themselves just like you are. Honestly, the, um, yeah, the amount of times in my life where I, I would have liked to try, try something. Like, I don't know, like, say stand-up comedy, for example. That's something oh, that I'd I love to go and do that. Yeah, but I suppose because I was on the radio and I had a good radio job, I was worried about... about you know, f- about failing. And the, the oh. truth is no one, no one gives a shit. Like, yeah. I don't know, there might be a couple of people that want to see you fail, but for the most people, most people are just thinking about themselves, as you said. I think part of that comes back to um, the minority is always the loudest as well. Yeah. And you, like, the comments on Facebook or whatever it is, those comments on Facebook are just the parallel for the people that you imagine that aren't really there. Mm. You know, they're not, they're not saying that to your face. They're not doing this and... I mean, I haven't experienced a whole lot of that, but there's also, there's always some things and it's just about realizing that, um, do you really care bar maybe 10 to 20 people in your life? Do you really <laughs> care what those other people think? Yeah. Which is, which is obviously, it's not about annoying people or pissing people off or doing things and with complete disregard for the rest of society, Yeah, but it's, it doesn't do, matter. Do what you want to do, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Um, like, do your thing. And I got given some, some really good advice um, from someone who's like a close mentor. And I was, I was very much trying to please everyone. And if you try to please everyone, you don't please anyone. Mm. And it's better to be polarizing, obviously not in an offensive way, not in a way which is hurting people, mm. but polarizing in a way that some people like you and some people aren't that big of a fan. Yeah. And that's actually a good way to go about it mm. because it means you're probably doing something important. It means you're probably doing something that connects with people in a strong way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've spent so much time talking about your 654, yeah. talking about mental health. Um, it hasn't left us much time to talk about your two challenges last year where you didn't succeed, and I think that's good. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. They probably don't deserve as much um, as much um, oxygen on this podcast, but, but let's go there. Yeah. So the, um, so the 654 was in the Auckland domain in what month? Uh, the end of March. So March. I think I finished the last day of March. And then you went to Baldwin Street in Dunedin. When was that? Yeah, well, I planned out to do these three world records in six months. You know, mm-hmm. it was this big plan and I had this, I, I very much was in the position of, I had struggled after that mentally and was like, I've got to top it. I've got to go more and do this and um, and just was like, I'll just. So you feel part of that was fed from, um, you, you know, you had so much like public support and I, I suppose and you had people saying to you immediately afterwards, like, well, what's, what are you going to oh, do next? The first question I got in an interview was, so what are you doing next? And I'm like, going to the hospital. Like, what do you think? You're going to be put on a it's drip. Still, it's still the question. Even a, even a month ago, you know, I was the first question, I, the most asked question I get is not how am I doing? How, how's the body? How's this? It's so. What are you going to do next? It's hard though, but I suppose you become a victim of your own. Your own oh, a hundred percent. And yeah. I'm not. I'm not um, begrudging that or anything. Yeah. But it's understanding where people will think. And yeah. Um, yeah so <laughs> I planned out these three things. And so the first one was um, middle of winter. In hindsight, I had no clue what I was doing. I went down to Baldwin Street, steepest street in the world. Yes, and was going to do the world record for the fastest time to ascend the height of Everest. Which is how many times up and down Baldwin? 132. Oh. Um, and By the way, Baldwin Street, for anyone that hasn't been to Dunedin, it's one of those streets, most people walk up there as a novelty, take a photo. Oh, and get and out, like I walking <laughs> walking up it 
gets you out of breath a quarter of the way up. Yeah. Like even you know that's, that idea of when you really start going. Steep. Yeah, it's 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 just it's seventy meters elevation in three hundred and fifty meters length. Mm. That's crazy, and it's so steep and. Um, it was wet, and I mean, and I, I don't want to. I want to preface this by saying, um, although some of these may sound like excuses, I was not prepared to go and do this if every condition was perfect, right? Like these things contributed to why it went wrong, but I was not fit enough, and I hadn't done the prep. Um, Did you think you had though? No, no. Oh, so I, you knew you were okay. Yeah, yeah. Two weeks beforehand, I went. This is not working. I'm, I'm going through the motions, and I needed knew something needed to change, which I think somewhat took the pressure off me, understanding that I knew I wasn't going into it ready. But you still have you have to have that belief of who knows. You yeah, know, I didn't feel ready for the other challenges either. Did you think you'd get through on your mental toughness? Ah, uh, I didn't know, but yeah, yeah I th- I think I'd never failed a big challenge before, so I was like, well, we'll figure it out. That's always <laughs> what happens. Um, and. We started at 6 a.m. It was minus two degrees. Um, it was wet. And from the start, I was, because it was wet. Oh, it was Dunedin. What did you expect? Exactly. <laughs> um, I expected everything to just come together and work around me. And, um, and I was going down the stairs and up, up and down the stairs from the start because uh-huh. it was too wet. And I was behind the pace from the start. And as I got off the pace further, because it was, I had to do it in like 11 hours. Mm. It was quick. Um, and then got further and further behind and started, my knees started to go and then um, I cracked two ribs, which was... How did you crack your ribs? Just the constant impact going down. Really? So you didn't fall over on the wet no, steps or just, anything? just the... Okay. Imagine what a stress fracture does, but mm. very acute. Um, it was the back two ribs and so I started to really struggle breathing to the point where I was panic attack breathing the whole time. And you get up to the top and then you wouldn't get your breath back on the way down because it would be the impact. And I managed to get halfway up Everest in eight hours. So not like crazy off the pace, you know, like six, 16, like, yeah, okay, yeah. like it's Did in you? that realm and you can see why I thought I might be able to do it, but um, brutal. And it became a thing where I just couldn't get my breath back. I couldn't breathe because my ribs were, imagine having broken ribs and sneezing. It was like that every single breath. Yeah, and yeah. it was, it was, I was just in the bottom of Baldwin Street in a rental car crying and was like with so many people around me like a hundred people in a crowd at the bottom of Baldwin Street and I'm just in the car crying was it like physical pain mental pain both everything yeah. just and that like I think almost relief as well mm. it had been such a tough time leading up to that and I was just like oh my god there's such this emotional dump just came out and I actually I asked my phone I wanted to write I needed to write things that I would change if I did it again and that idea of what I said about fuck it fix it forget it I needed to write those things down to fix it, and then I could put it aside for a while so that I could, like, get this release almost. And we went back to the hotel, and I ate room service and sat in the hotel and did not feel good and just surrounded myself with some cool people after I had some time alone and flew back the next day. And um, and really, that was tough, but I knew what I wanted to change. I knew what I wanted to do things differently. And I got asked what my favorite run of last year was. And you'd expect me to say 654 or some nice training runner, and it was Baldwin. Really? Why was it that one? Because it had the most significant impact on my life. And at the time, it sucked. But it made me... You learned so much more from those things. It forced me to... I was in a complacent mode of trying to do achieve challenges and tick goals off as yeah. opposed to being the best version of myself and that resulting in me doing those things. Mm. And that was the way that mind switch, mind, mindset switch came mm. And I was in this big training block and going well, and then COVID hit again. <laughs> and um, I had this challenge of doing a marathon towing a car for this world record and doing actually doing 100K with it. And that just went out the window within two weeks of lockdown. It's this isn't going to happen and had to pivot and adapt again. And I set my sight on the last one, which was to, for the longest single stage run ever. So it was... And the key thing is, is it's that difference between waking up and running a long way each day and then going to bed and getting a good night's sleep versus hitting it all the time. Mm. So I had to run just over a thousand kilometers and um, I had to do at least a hundred K every day 
and I couldn't stop for more than two hours at a time. Couldn't be stationary, right? Which was just brutal. Mm. So that was um, that was um, lockdown for December last year. Yeah, and so sort of just, winyard court away yeah, so of the Auckland Viaduct, and, and we, obviously we structured our mental health. So it was all around raising awareness, and we wanted to reach a million comments. Yeah. And but the physical goal was was that, and um, I set off pretty well. You know, did did well on the first day. Um, did just over a hundred. Had plenty of time to spare you know, stretched it out and everything went to plan. And the second day I kind of struggled, but we got there and timed it well. And the third day my knee started to go and um, I got really behind the pace and had five hours to run a marathon with 260K in my legs. (laughs) It wasn't fun. And I made it with four minutes to spare. And I was... My feet were in agony as well from that the throbbing, and it was that was probably the hardest physical thing I've ever done. And I got there with um, four minutes to spare and just collapsed in the middle of uh, Karanga Plaza in Winyard Quarter <laughs> with the city behind me. And just there's a video of me just hitting the floor and pa- like panicky crying, just this emotional dump, right? And then I had to find a way of picking myself up after that. And we're going again within two hours, and that's so hard. There's no big time. Mm. There's no let's get dinner. There's no. Could you not? <sighs> Part of me thinks, you know, after the Baldwin Street thing, where you were going for the record, you're like in Baldwin Street. If, maybe if you slowed it down, you could have got it done. The yes. height of Everest without yep. the record. Could you not have pivoted at this point and go, okay, well, we'll keep going, but we won't worry about the the world record aspect. I think that's that's something that's really easy to do in hindsight. Yeah, I totally agree. But in that moment. It's you've got to you've got to back yourself, mm. you know, and that. Does this come back to what you were saying before about how like no is not an option, or yeah? And I yeah. think you'd never achieve the actual goal if you ever entertained that possibility, yeah. right? A it becomes B. a point where it's not a decision. Um, and so I kept going, and I managed to get through. I managed to make the next day, and then because essentially there's that hundred k cutoff, right? And you're you're battling that every day, which is so draining. Which a hundred k, if you want to go and do it each day. But a lot of runners, especially ultra runners, it's like it's huge, but like it's possible. You it's know? doable. I mean, it's yeah. Just re- recently, we've had um, Emma Timms run the length of New Zealand yeah. with, a, with a smash the record, doing a hundred k a day for twenty one days. But let's not that downplay it. Like, oh no, hundred k a day for anybody just for one day. hundred percent phenomenal. It's just that constant hitting it and not getting that break. I would have killed to just go to bed for eight hours. Like, oh, <laughs> please, um, and. Um, so what happened was, uh, the, I made it at 8 PM and we got through that. I started and we got, got 16 K in or something. And, um, I, my feet were really sore, like to the point where they were very nerve painy, which happens Mm. and it comes and goes. And so we were like, well, let's rest me more and elevate my legs, but let's sleep at the same time because, um, because it was so bad. And then we got up again to do another lap and. It got to the stage where I physically couldn't walk with someone next to me. Like, it was just such intense nerve pain. Um, and we rested me more, and my body started to shut down because we rested me more. And it's that that thing of if you take too long to rest without getting enough rest, your body just goes, like, plummets. Mm. And that's what happens. And at 4 a.m., they tried to get me up. didn't work. I basically... Um, was they got me into a chair and like fed me a hash brown and stuff, and I was aware of everything going on around me, but was still basically comatose. And they tried to get me up and get me like moving, and the team did great. Um, and um, I started to seize in the chair, so I would my heart rate would go from sixty to one sixty to sixty to one sixty, and my body started fitting. And it's that that difference of we sort of tried to get me out of it and stuff, and it got to the stage where it was like. No, it's time. Like my body's saying no. <laughs> no more. It's we, not, we it's not me giving up. It's not anything. It's not, yeah. you're not coming back from this yeah. now. This is going to get worse. And so we made the decision to call it and call the name. Bear in mind, I'm totally aware of everything going around me, but can't do anything. I'm locked in my body again. I'm just here, you know. Um, and in, I was in and out of consciousness as they took me to the hospital. It was probably a few hours later. And so I'd had a seizure, um, very different, like an epileptic seizure where it's brought on by that external. This was brought on by extreme sleep deprivation. And what they said is in hindsight is actually it had only been seven months since I'd done six days of sleep deprivation and that my body had sort of remembered that 
And instead of adapting, right, instead of right. adapting this time, it went no. Right. Whereas last mm. time, that similar feeling, my body flicked a switch and went came right. Whereas mm. this time, it didn't do that. It's funny because hey, you think it'd be the opposite, and your body would go, oh, "Okay, we've been here before." Exactly. I think it's just as that they suggested is t- actually taking a year mm. to do that, not seven months. Okay. That's a big difference, and your body will be able to do something like that again. But taking the time and recovering, and I think in hindsight. I didn't know that, and now I know that, so I can do things mm. differently in future and just learn from it. Um, but yeah, I managed to get 421 kilometers in, which seemed like a failure, but actually when I was in the hospital, I was really emotional, but I actually felt okay, because what I'd done in that training block leading up to it, I dropped 10 kilos, I was as fit as I'd ever been, I'd done 200 plus K, K training weeks, I'd ticked every box, I'd done everything I possibly could to prepare and my body said no. And that's okay. And that it wasn't like I had left anything on the table. And to come from Baldwin where I felt really unprepared and hadn't done the right things to that, um, the result didn't matter to me mm. as much. There was And can I just say you should always feel okay about these things because it's like they're not they're not simple tasks that you're undertaking. They are big challenges. Oh, and yeah. with big challenge comes um uh, big big rewards, but also yeah. big risk. Well it's like imagine if I'd set out to run four hundred K. That's still amazing. Yeah. And I would have done it, but I still would have had, what, 20-odd K in the tank, probably more because I would have known that and paced it differently. And it's I would much rather push my body to the limit and find out where that limit is at that moment. That doesn't mean it's always going to be there, but yeah. at that moment, than fall short and um, realize that I still had some in the tank and that play on my mind for ages. And the only reason why you wouldn't do that most of the time because you're worried about what other people would think mm. and that failure. And having said that, there is something to be said for the, the last two things I've done, I haven't managed to tick off the physical goal I wanted to. Mm. And so that can be really draining. Mm. And so it's going and finding wins of things you can actually tick off. You set out this exact goal and you do it. And that's something I've tried to surround myself with more recently is still pushing myself, but understanding that I can do this again. And going and doing runs where it's, yeah, it's a hard session or whatever it is, but I can do it and get through it and mm. build up those wins again because it can be really draining on that self-confidence. You start to doubt. With, you go the other way from that complacency. I did three in a row where I ticked off and did everything I wanted to, and then I had two where I didn't do that. Yeah. And it comes in stages. Yeah. So what about um, 2022? Here we are on the first quarter of the year. You, you, you're gonna, you want to do anything this year? You're going to do anything this year? Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've said like I, I need a break and I feel I definitely yeah. feel like it's helped. Um, I think... Um, oh, the, the break's done. <laughs> well, the break's done from um, me working towards right. things, but things look different. Um, part of what I've realised, and I haven't talked about this yet, is... Um, when you do the challenges and the mental health aspect and the promotion of the, or the, the raising awareness aspect of mental health is it's so wrapped into what you do, there's this huge pressure and this huge weight on it. And actually letting myself off the hook of that is I can go and do these athletic things and they don't have to be completely tied up in this mental health aspect. You can actually be an athlete and a runner and do these things and still be an advocate for mental health and make change and they don't have to be mashed together all the time. Of course, yeah. And I think I've learned that but didn't realise that in context, mm. and I think that's what I'm going into 2022 doing is trying to separate those things out so that I can actually put full energy into each one, not both of them get half. Mm. And I think that's that's been big for me and that's been a huge change in mindset and obviously a big change to what I'm doing. Um, but And it sort of means I'm uncertain about what a lot yeah. of things look like. Um but I think a lot of it is um, you pivot and you do things differently mm. and you learn from it and I have to take care of myself in order to be able to go and do these things. Absolutely, and and, first and foremost, and every time. that's the best mental health advocacy you could mm. ever do and the best raising awareness you could ever do in mental health is to show an example where you're actually taking care of mm. yourself rather than pushing it further and further. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, th- I feel like I know you reasonably well, and I know that you'll you th- these things do become addictive, and you'll want to do more, and mm. you want to do different fun things. Um, but I also feel like you've you've already done enough that it, you, if you go turn up to an event or you turn up to something, you are going to be Matt Fenn, mental health advocate. 
Yeah. But uh, that's a, I think that's a title that you've earned for yourself with what you've done and what you've attempted. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is it feels it feels hard at times because it almost feels like there's self-promotion involved and that feels a bit icky to me. I've never wanted to be an influencer or anything like that. I think part of it is it gets tied up in that because all I want to do is create a platform where I'm able to keep doing these things and keep making that difference. And it's not about the the selfish side of it. It's about the wanting to have a platform to be able to make a difference and have that impact, Yeah, um, which I've been really grateful for over the past year is that has grown and I've been able to... Um, people have sort of let me in their lives in some ways, you know, to talk about these things and yeah. stuff like that, which has been huge and something I definitely don't take for granted and has been... I sort of almost feel a responsibility now, not necessarily to go and do all these things, but when you start talking about these things, it's um, it's almost the great power comes great responsibility mm. of right you you it's you you have some of that platform and you need to continue to use it in the right yeah. way yeah yeah but i'm pleased you're looking after yourself first because that's the most important thing yeah for sure um but and saying that i do look forward to seeing what's next as well <laughs> because um yeah i don't know where these challenges stem from but um oh. yeah i love the wackiness of them oh they they brain dumps and brainstorms we, yeah. t- we talked about how the the end of year run came from I literally typed into Google, how far is it to the moon? And that's like 380,000 Ks. 350,000. Like that's a lifetime running goal, you know, like I'm going to do this distance. And, um, but it's just, it's, that's the ideology. And they, they come from all sorts of different things, questions people ask you to this and that. And I really love that as when I was a kid, I, I wanted to, before cricket and everything, I thought about, I want to be creative and I want to come up with ideas for things. I've thought about advertising and all these different things. And then I switched to like that elite sport and I've realized that somehow those two things have sort of mashed together into what I do now. Mm. And that it's that idea and that, that how can we engage people and, and make a difference and, and be positive impact, but also high performance sport and, and combining those two things together. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you're a great New Zealander um, and uh, you've become a good friend of mine and it's been great to sit down with you today. I've really enjoyed our chat about running and mental health yeah. and everything in between. It's been great. Cheers, mate. I'm looking forward to um, continuing to listen and, and see what happens. Yeah, amazing. Cool. And likewise, I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with next, if anything. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Cheers. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. <laughs> 